Welcome to the Basic Scotland podcast series. These are brief snapshots of topics relevant to pre-hospital care, predominantly within Scotland, and some deep dives into specialist areas with experts from a wide range of disciplines. My name is Dave Strachan. I'm an Army Surgical Registrar, a Basics Responder, and a Mountain Rescue Doctor. We at Basic Scotland are very grateful to NHS Education for Scotland for all of their support with these podcasts. Back joining us today, we've got Caitlin Wilson. Caitlin is a paramedic for the Northwest Ambulance Service NHS Trust, and she was chatting to us before about hyperventilation syndrome on an earlier episode. However, at the moment, she's doing a PhD looking at feedback in the pre-hospital environment. And this is with the University of Leeds and is funded by the NIHR Yorkshire and Humber Patient Safety Translational Research Centre. I think I've got that all out in, in one go. Caitlin, thanks for coming back to chat. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. Yeah, that's a bit of a mouthful. We call it the PSTRC, which makes it sound very cool. They're kindly funding my PhD and I'm now in my final year, so I'm really glad to be here and talk about feedback. Fantastic. So I guess the obvious place to start is why? Why feedback? What was the rationale for choosing that as a PhD subject? So yeah, a few things came together really. So this funding was being offered as a package deal, so it came at the right time. But probably about four years before I started my PhD in 2019, I started becoming really passionate about feedback during my clinical shifts as a paramedic. There's two incidents in particular. And the first one wasn't actually when I was a paramedic working on the road. So I was on day off. Don't we all enjoy those? And came across an incident. And at that time, I was fairly newly qualified. And so I stopped by the side of the road and I rendered aid on what was quite a significant accident that had happened to this patient. And the ambulance service were involved and the air ambulance and the police and all sorts of different organisations. And then we just went on our way, my husband and I, and never really particularly thought about that patient again until about three months later when I had a phone call at home to tell me how the patient was doing from one of the patient's relatives. So I got some feedback on how the patient was, what injuries they'd sustained and, and how their recovery was going and kind of a general appreciation of the family that would stop to help when there was no one else around. And I just began to think that that was really strange that I could pull over on the side of the road in pretty much the middle of nowhere and help someone. And then they somehow got hold of my phone number and gave me feedback. And yet when I'm logged on onto the ambulance, very much known where I am and who I'm responding to, I didn't really feel like I got feedback on very much, to be fair. <laughs> and I think others feel the same. And, and similarly, a different incident. So this did occur at work where I responded to a patient who was suffering from some kind of cardiac related chest pain, no findings on the ECG as such, but I really began to think that this could be a non-STEMI based on all the other observations and, and kind of the way the patient was describing everything and, and their history and was really tempted to take them to the primary PCI centre, but obviously wasn't allowed given the current protocols. And then again, kind of moved on to the next patient once I'd taken that patient to the nearest ED and, and didn't particularly think very much of it until approximately maybe six months later through one of my family relatives actually who works at a cardiac rehab hospital happened to know that that was the patient I responded to based on me conversing with this patient in a different language because that was her native language so without giving too much away in terms of patient details we were able to identify that the patient I'd attended to and taken to the nearest ED 
was then that patient that was in this cardiac rehab hospital having successfully had treatment in one of the cardiac specialist hospitals. So I got feedback on my diagnosis that it was what I interpreted to be an NSTEMI and that she had adequate treatment and she'd recovered. But again, completely kind of informal. There was nothing really connecting me to that patient and certainly nothing connecting my relative to that patient, but it just happened to work out. So a real sense that if feedback can work out in really unforeseen circumstances outside of work, then why can't it work when I sign on for my 12 hour shift and see if two, three, 10, 15 patients, depending on how productive I'm being and how long we queue at the hospital, but why can't I get feedback then? So in a moment of madness, I decided to do a PhD on it. <laughs> uh, it's really interesting. Uh, something struck me as you're talking there. Both those episodes of feedback, as you say, are unscripted, haphazard, almost chance episodes, but they're both also very late, very delayed beyond the presentation. And I guess working predominantly in hospital, one of the beauties is that we do get that immediate or close to immediate feedback. So we can see if we get the right answer and then I quite often adapt my practice based on that. Yeah, I think you've touched on some really important things then. So it's it's the adapting practice that I think is really interesting, you know, that we're learning from those decisions that we've made. And if we don't find out if they're right or wrong, then how are we ever going to adapt practice actually to individual patients? And it might not be that same patient that we see again. We're often learning from individual patients for the next patient that then presents in a similar fashion, or we're at least treating them in a similar manner. What sort of things are you meaning by feedback? Because there's lots of different ways that feedback can happen. So in your mind, what does feedback entail? Yeah, so the examples that I've shared and the one that you just mentioned as well are all patient outcome feedback. And that's really where my passion lies is improving the provision of patient outcome feedback to patient facing emergency ambulance stuff. But actually, feedback has a lot of different types to it uh, and in an interview study that we did we actually then conducted an analysis and wrote out a typology so we came up with seven different feedback types from different sources so it could be from the hospital and that would mainly be patient outcome feedback it could actually be from patients themselves so a little bit like what i received and we call that patient experience feedback and i think when we start to think of it sometimes we do actually get that patient experience feedback it could just be, you know, one of the patients saying thank you or the relative saying thank you, or they might even go as far as sending in a letter or a postcard or dropping off some chocolates at the ambulance station if they're feeling really kind. But that's feedback. They're saying thank you, even though it might not be as detailed as the patient outcome feedback. Then there's also peer-to-peer -peer feedback. So especially as an ambulance crew, we often work in twos and you might even be situated within a bigger team. Or if you're being mentored as a student paramedic, you'll be getting feedback from that mentor. So we call that peer-to-peer -peer feedback because really you're learning and being given feedback by someone else that's doing the same job as you. So that might be been to a really difficult incident and they think you handle that particularly well. So at the end of that job, at the end of that shift, they might just say that. And I'd really encourage people to say that actually to build each other up and to learn as well. You know, you can be constructive if you think that someone might not have dealt with something particularly well. Obviously, if it's a patient safety risk, mention it there and then. But if it's kind of a smaller thing that you just maybe question or disagree with, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of an open chat and providing some feedback and, and opening that discussion for 
them to provide feedback on your decision making as well. So that's the first three. And then the others come from kind of an organizational, more management perspective. And the first thing that probably comes to mind are like yearly appraisals or monthly appraisals, depending on where you work, where you might get feedback on your response times or your handover to clear times. So quite performance orientated, really. Then this is a form of feedback, I think, is something called feed forward. So unseen advice where we can kind of ask, for example, the major trauma cell, whether they can monitor and, and lend a bit of support. So that's not so much feedback on decisions that we've already made, but decisions that we're planning to make. You know, I'm thinking of taking this patient to the nearest trauma centre. Can I just check that that's appropriate? Or away from trauma, looking at mental health patients, we locally have like a mental health access line that we can ring to chat to a mental health nurse about the patient. And again, we're laying out the plan of what we think we could do. And then they're providing feedback on that very much in real time. And obviously they can then weigh in whether they think that's a good decision or not. Then we've got debrief. And I know you've got episodes on debrief. So I don't think we'll talk about that in too much detail, but that in and of itself is a type of feedback. And then the last one being investigations or coroner's courts, reports, anything where something significant has gone wrong, but you might get really good feedback from something like coroner's court, as terrifying as that sounds. So those would be kind of the types of feedback that we found in our interview study. And I was actually quite surprised that there were so many. I think personally, I had just focused on patient outcome feedback and maybe not quite appreciated all the different types of feedback that we get or we maybe don't get. Yeah, as you walk through them, they all make sense, and I can recognise what you're meaning by them, but they're not things that, that immediately jumped to my mind when I thought of feedback. I guess, as you say, yeah, outcome feedback and potentially you know, the, the patient satisfaction type responses were the two things that I've instinctively thought of. But as you say, all of those things have got a potential to change practice and to make us better clinicians or better communicators or better at the mechanical aspect of our jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're kind of anticipating those effects when we want feedback. You know, there might be particular patients that we're thinking about after we go home. And so we try and get some feedback to get a sense of closure. Or there might be a particular set of patients where we're not quite sure on the diagnosis. Is it respiratory? Is it cardiac? Is it just muscular chest pain? And obviously, you'd always err on the side of caution when you're making those clinical decisions. But then to try and get some feedback afterwards, um, it'll be really beneficial because that can actually improve your knowledge and improve your confidence next time you're faced with a similar set of symptoms and making those decisions. So, yeah, to me, there's kind of those two aspects to feedback. There's that personal element about a sense of closure, kind of looking after your own mental health, potentially even an element of job satisfaction, actually, you know, patients saying thank you. Obviously, that's great. That's nice to feel appreciated. And I know we don't do the job to feel appreciated, but if we go to work, it can still be a good job. People can still say thank you. Crewmates can still say thank you. And I think that sometimes goes a mile just to improve how your day is going. But then there's the other professional development side of clinical decision making. And I know we're kind of approaching it from a very much individual perspective, but actually there's organizational benefits to feedback as well. So there's increased engagement from staff, which would ideally lead to, you know, better performance, hopefully better retention of staff. And ultimately, you know, we want to improve patient care. So if we're making better decisions, we are improving patient care, probably improving patient safety and care quality at the same time. So 
I think there's a lot of different elements to feedback. The difficulty is just in trying to measure those and actually evaluate those initiatives. Really interesting. Yeah. And as you say, organisationally, there are some definite pluses. I think just to kind of skirt sideways for a second and, and look at basic Scotland, I guess it's, it's kind of two groups, really, because you've got the rural primary care clinicians, doctors, nurses, paramedics who are embedded in their community and often get the informal feedback of so-and-so has, has left hospital or they see them back in their in the GP surgery. But there's also that group of patients who are significantly sick who get transferred a long way away and perhaps get lost track of and they're often you know the the really sick people are the ones that are often playing on your mind at the end of a shift when you've booked off the other thing i was going to say was there was a phase where individually when we submitted a patient report form the responder support commissions were giving some feedback not from the specifics of the job but just sort of looking at the paperwork saying oh you know that's a difficult job interested you chose to do that there had you thought about treatment option x or drug y not as a critique but just as a sort of an engagement and as a way of broadening and trying to make each job into something of a reflective experience as well Yeah, reflection is a huge element of this, and that's ultimately how we want to learn. And I love hearing about initiatives. You know, you mentioning, oh, yeah, there was something about feedback with Basic Scotland. And so many times I've spoken to people and they're like, oh, yeah, at this one hospital, there is a feedback initiative. Oh, and at this other hospital, they're just trying to start up a feedback initiative. So what I did as one of my PhD studies is I did kind of a national survey. So across the whole of the UK, looking at different pre-hospital feedback initiatives and we deliberately kept it quite open but the majority of initiatives so 41 responses we had and the majority of them are still active now 27 of them and they were from across the whole of the UK plenty up in Scotland there's a great interest up there Northern Ireland and then all the way across England and Wales and the majority of them used email format which is unsurprising really given the the current climate you know the isolated nature of working in the pre-hospital setting and they provided patient outcome feedback again I think that's a combination of you know that's our initial interpretation when we hear feedback we think of patient outcome feedback and also because a lot of these are driven by really passionate individuals so they focus on patient outcome feedback and set up an isolated initiative based on that And they're focused on kind of individual staff members. So I said, there's usually one staff member setting it up and it works as kind of a pull initiative. So that means that individual ambulance staff or basic staff would put in their request for feedback. They'd say, I've been to Doris who sustained this injury. Please, can I have feedback on it? They'd input, you know, the relevant details of that initiative. And then based on that, the feedback would be provided. The opposite of that would be a push initiative and there are some of those around where there's kind of an ongoing dashboard of feedback that people can access at any given time so they don't have to actually request specific feedback so what i'm doing at the moment is trying to unpick all of those initiatives and pull together best practice how do we actually provide feedback to make it sustainable because i think that's a really important thing if it's based on one individual passionate person when that person then moves on to work somewhere else then that project sadly lost and all the benefits of feedback that we've talked about and so many staff wanting more feedback I think sustainability is going to be key. You mentioned some of the organisational benefits of feedback I I wonder on a more personal level what are the sort of effects of getting timely responsive feedback to a job? 
So to me, it's about closure. The whole idea that we go to work and then don't bring work home to me is key for mental health and for continuing to enjoy my job after 10 years is the fact that I can leave work at work and then just be me when I'm at home. So I think knowing that a patient has survived or sometimes even knowing that a patient has died, but not due to my immediate treatment, it just gives you a sense of closure. And then there's also this concept of clinical curiosity, you know, you're not quite sure whether that was a pee or you're not quite sure. You just have a little niggle that you think you know the diagnosis, but you don't know, you know, was that a chest infection that I should have left at home or was that something else? So I think this curiosity that can then be satisfied. And I don't mean curiosity in the sense of being nosy. I think it's from a clinical sense. We want to know whether we were right or not so we can do better next time we see a similar patient. And so I'm currently analysing results from a systematic review. So what that means is I've conducted lots of searches from the literature to pull out all the different studies on pre-hospital feedback. And we've actually found 37 different initiatives from around the world that have been written up as a research study and evaluated. And actually, we've found that there is a positive effect of feedback on a whole variety of outcomes. So the highest effect was for what we call protocol adherence. So these are studies where, you know, there's a certain protocol in place for, say, steroid administration or for giving certain drugs, you know, when you're confronted with what you think is a patient suffering an MI. So certain protocols, we might call them checklists. And really, that's how it's being evaluated. And then those participants being given feedback, you did so well on this patient, you missed giving out this drug on that patient and they're then evaluating whether that feedback has an effect and we've actually found that it has a really strong effect in circumstances like that similar for documentation so you were saying before that someone was combing through the paperwork and then questioning decisions actually just recording decisions and treatment accurately can be improved by providing feedback and that's probably more performance related feedback so that's not so much about the patient outcomes But we've also looked at cardiac arrest performance and clinical decision-making as outcomes. And again, there's a positive effect of feedback in the pre-hospital setting on those elements. But we definitely need more research, especially for what I kind of call the softer outcomes, but arguably, personally, I think maybe the more important ones, which is about staff well-being and about clinical decision-making. So quite individual, I guess it's just fairly complex to then be able to actually evaluate that when it's not an organizational level, you know, it's not ambulance response times that we're analyzing, we're evaluating someone's mental health, um, which is obviously quite tricky to then measure. But yeah, great positive effect. And I think what's been fantastic to see is that in other areas of healthcare, so in health services research, they call it audit and feedback. So a lot of the time that's done in general practice, for example, primary care situations, feedback has been shown to have positive effects. So to be able to say that within actually the pre-hospital setting, that's the case as well, when no one else has looked at that before, I think is great. And it's great for organisations to hear about that as well, you know, for ambulance services to know that implementing feedback has positive effects and the research supports that is great and will hopefully help individuals trying to set up initiatives get that support from their organizations as well.
if you say if you can prove that there is a benefit from it, then it, it makes it much easier to justify people's time and I guess ultimately expense in putting it together. Interesting, you were talking about cardiac arrest feedback. There's a suggestion from down south that actually when you're doing that sort of hot debrief, being able to scroll back through the arrest record as sort of held on the defib and be able to look at time off the chests, non-compression time, effectiveness of ventilation, actually that then gives minute by minute feedback whilst the job is hot in your mind and can then improve outcomes for the next cardiac arrest, the next day, the next week, the next month, whenever it is. And that's nice binary data that isn't too contentious and that everybody can then take away and, and hopefully improve practice with. I wonder how easy it is and how well received it is to give feedback on things that are a little bit less I guess, number-driven, you know, how you thought communication went, rapport, that sort of thing. I wonder if you've got any thoughts around how we should be feeding back, yeah, as you say, the softer, non-technical skills. I think we need to be careful with it, to be honest. I think the same for number-related stuff. I think if we got hard data that someone was having a lot of pauses in between their chest compressions and that the rate they were providing compressions with wasn't to scratch then how we're providing that feedback is really important. You know, are we just giving them the hard numbers of you underperformed during this cardiac arrest, you were not meeting the right targets? Or actually, are we asking why? And are we supporting them to understand that individual context? You know, we all know that a cardiac arrest is not straightforward. And depending on where you're working that cardiac arrest, you might not actually be able to meet all those targets that you would be able to meet if you were, you know, in a classroom practicing your cardiac arrest, Oski. Um, <laughs> so we need to be careful, but more so with the softer outcomes. You know, if we're trying to get a feel for why people weren't communicating well with each other or why they particularly were doing actually really well in communicating, uh, then to unpick that, we need to be quite careful. And what I really like, Dave, is when you described that study, is that we're combining lots of different types of feedback. You know, that's in a kind of debrief type feedback setting, but actually we're using almost performance type data. And then if we can actually include patient outcomes in that as well, I think that really interests individual clinicians. Um, I think that kind of gives a bit of buy-in. If we know that we did really well, those chest compressions were excellent, we transported them to hospital when it was appropriate and they survived, um, you know, that. That is just a nice to have. And I'm not saying that always happens. We all know that we can do brilliantly at cardiac arrest in terms of performance and the patient might not actually make it. But actually that should be shared as well because it's about being realistic and we manage patients' expectations and their relatives' expectations. So someone just recently um, in my study was saying that they use their feedback so that they can then share what they think might happen in hospital. So they knew that from other patient outcome feedback, they'd been told that this chest pain patient had been taken to hospital and these blood tests were done and then they were waiting for these results and then they were or weren't admitted. And I think especially when you're newly qualified, you might not know all those things. Paramedic students that have been around in COVID times, a lot of the time have missed out on those hospital-based placements and maybe even before that have been focused more on ambulance placements. So they just don't know what happens to patients. So rather than speculating, actually, if we can share from feedback that we've been given on other similar patients, then we can reassure patients as well and their relatives as to what might happen in hospital, not just ourselves. 
Indeed, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, certainly in terms of arrest feedback, I dread to think what, what it would look like if my solo response CPR was analysed, because you can try as best as you can, but when you're on your own stuck in a caravan, it's phenomenally difficult to try and do high quality stuff. So yeah, I think situational res- feedback is, is definitely key. I guess... Sort of to round things off, what's next? What's the evolution from here? How can we improve things? So when I set out on my PhD, I think like most PhD students, I wanted to change the world, at least implement an international pre-hospital feedback system that was widely accessible for every individual involved in the ambulance service. That's not happened. And (laughs) I've had to adjust my plans realistically. But what I have managed to do and I'm continuing to do is to explore how feedback actually works and does it actually work in this setting. So what I'm doing at the moment is my final PhD study, which is a diary study that's supported by the majority of ambulance services in the UK, including the Scottish Ambulance Service. And it's an online study. So it starts with a survey and then goes on to ask people questions about the feedback they've received and then asks them to log in individual diary entries for when they've received feedback and when they've wanted feedback but haven't received any. Obviously, anonymous patient information. It's not about patient names. It's more about kind of general categories of patients, you know, abdominal pain, trauma, and who you wanted that feedback from. So the source of the feedback, is it the hospital? Is it your crewmates? Is it the patient themselves? Those kind of questions. And then I'm going to be analysing them to hopefully get kind of hard data that in the UK pre-hospital feedback works in these situations and this is how it works and this is where we need more of it and how we need it. So for anyone interested in participating in that study and Dave has given me permission to share this yet just look at bit.ly forward slash prefeed hyphen diary or look me up on Twitter or on the Basic Scotland webpage and if you've got any questions at all, obviously, I'm more than happy to answer them. And we will put those links together with this podcast so that it should be clickable from the, the podcast as well. I can only heartily commend, I think it would be great to formalise this. And I think as a basics responder, for me going forward, that feedback is invaluable because I, I can't see that that whole patient journey and therefore finding out how my part in it affected the the patient or the clinical outcomes, I think definitely has the the potential to change my practice and to improve the care that I give. Caitlin, as ever, we asked folk for three kind of top tips. What are your thoughts in terms of things that folk can take away around feedback? So apart from obviously completing my diary study, (laughs) I'd say look for feedback, seek that feedback out. You know, it's not always going to be provided to you. So actively seek out feedback would be my first point. And then secondly, when you get that feedback, actually use it. What I mean by that is sometimes it might be really straightforward. You just want to know if that patient survived or not. But more often, you're going to want kind of the grainy detail of whether your clinical decision making was correct. So use that feedback to reflect on what you actually did and then almost have a bit of an action plan as to how that's going to change your treatment going forward with other patients. And then lastly, be open to give feedback as well. So I mentioned peer-to-peer feedback and I mentioned you know various sources that you can get feedback from. So be supportive, give that feedback in order to then be able to receive it as well. So seek feedback, use the feedback and give feedback would be my three top tips. 
Katie, that's fantastic. Very best of luck with the rest of your PhD. And yes, really interested to see the final results. Thanks so much for having me back to talk about my PhD. I've really enjoyed it. And yeah, any questions about pre-hospital feedback, do get in touch. That's it for this week. If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland.